And welcome back to A Pagan Heart in Maine. On today's show, I talk about going fishing. And I have a wonderful interview with Hugh Gilbert, author of Free the Unicorn. To start us out today, this is The Familiars with The Water. the first time I went fishing as a kid. It was on the coast of West Haven, Connecticut, off of Seven Point. I had a regular small fishing pole, and I was using little fishies called shiners for bait. I learned how to cast and bait my own hook, and we were there for a while casting out and reeling in, and I hadn't caught anything, and then something grabbed my hook. I started reeling it in, and the fish jumped out of the water, and it flew 
like a bird, for about 30 feet before going back into the water. So I stopped reeling in for a minute because even as a young kid, I knew a thing about fish, mainly that they don't fly like birds. So it seems I caught an exocetati, at least that's the way I think it's pronounced. It's also known as a flying fish. And that was how I was properly introduced to the time-honored tradition of the fishermen, by catching a confused fish. I grew up fishing, and I found I spent a lot of my time down on the beach and piers fishing, or on rivers and ponds. And so, I hadn't found time to go fishing for quite a few years now, and I said to my wife, I need to go fishing again. I mean, we live less than 100 yards from the ocean, so traditionally, I should be out there dragging seafood onto the land to feed our tribe, right? Right. She surprised me this past year with two tickets for a chartered deep-sea fishing trip. So Sandy and I got on the boat with about 15 other people and went out to the harbor to go fishing. It was a beautiful day, sunny but not too hot, light fluffy clouds drifting by, and we went fishing. And the fish must have known we were coming because they were nowhere to be found. In fact, the only fish that was caught was a small mackerel by a teenager at the back of the boat. Now I wanted to at least catch some lunch, but one little mackerel wasn't going to go far, and I don't think the teenager would have given it up willingly. And I'm sure someone would be left with either the head or the tail. So we kept fishing, and we caught nothing. There are things we catch in life. We take our fishing rig, we bait our hooks, and we set our lines. We go fishing for things we want, but sometimes you may catch something totally different, and you just have to adjust and go with it, even if it's a confused fish that thinks it's a pelican. Yet, you did catch it for a reason. And sometimes it may feel you're trying to find something to catch something, and it seems you haven't caught anything. And it may be that you did, but you just didn't know it. Sandy and I didn't catch any fish that day, yet we spent a wonderful afternoon on the ocean in a boat with a wonderful breeze, and as we headed back to shore, we sat on the deck and watched a brilliant sunset while holding hands. It was a perfect fishing trip. Bye. 
And that was Jennifer Avalon with Shalimar. And welcome back. Today I am sitting with Hugh Gilbert, author of Free the Unicorn. And welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me here. So um, we're here to talk about your book, Free the Unicorn. And I've got to ask... Where does the title of that come from? What does that mean? Hmm. Uh, it began for me when, when I, I um, I'm Scottish, so I'll hopefully, hopefully my Scottish accent doesn't come through too strongly. But we're in the middle of a, an independence um, thought train of thought right now in Scotland, and we'll be voting on it next year. So. I, uh, I'm not sure which way I want to go with that, but I looked at the coat of arms of England for some reason, I brought it up, and I saw the unicorn was chained to the right-hand side of that throne as you look at it, and I thought that was strange. So I googled it, and it turns out to be the chained unicorn of Scotland, Okay. which totally surprised me, um, and yet didn't, other deeper reasons, it didn't surprise me at all. Um, and then I began to wonder, well, okay, I don't mind maybe standing beside that throne as a, as a neighboring country or whatever, and maybe I want to pull away, but I certainly don't want to be chained to it as such. And I was determined, no, that's not going to happen. But on reflection, I realized that what are they afraid of? Why, why, does, why does anything have to be chained, actually? Um, so what is it that that culture does not want us to remember, let's put it that way, what is the knowledge that they really don't want us to. It's really clear to me that they're keeping something from us and that something is who we are, right? 
So I decided to, to free the unicorn and look at um, how that affects us all individually and collectively as a nation. And I realized that it really doesn't matter whether we stand beside anyone or not. If we get our own individual sovereignty as human beings, then the label of who we're attached to really is irrelevant at that point in time. So I then realized pretty quickly that to fit into society just like most other people, I had to make a conscious decision to chain who I was, to suppress uh, my uniqueness as, as we all have. And I remembered the exact time when I did that, I remembered when that happened and the decision I made to fit into culture, uh, school, religion, family, and realized that I had been suppressing it ever since and the path I had taken had been because I denied who I was back then. So I determined to stop doing that and see how my life would change from that point on. So that's why I wrote the book based on all the experiences that happened to bring me back to starting point of where I am now, hoping that stimulates something in, in all the readers to, to understand what's happened in their lives too and, and how to um, to really step into their, their true self, their true identity. So, so the unicorn represents your true self then? Yes. Yeah. And, and it's about releasing who you really are. It's about remembering who you really are, yeah, and then releasing it. You've got to remember it first. Right, yeah. right. Yes. See, one, one of the things that um, I've always thought, and, and it kind of comes out in your book so, sort of a different way, but I, I like, is that, you know, when we're young, when we're children, we're told to grow up and we become a teenager and we forget what it's like to be a child and then when we become an adult we forget what it's like to be a teenager and we lose out on those two parts of our lives and we're, we're kind of incomplete as we're growing up is that kind of what yeah very much so what I'm saying um, and a child shall lead them let's use that phrase and that's about remembering what it was like to be a child it's in that innocence and yet in that knowing also uh, where we'll find a way through, and it's just a matter of getting back to where we were. Could you tell us about the book itself? As far as what what is, what was your um, desire to write this book, to share this book? Hmm. I, I just felt it was time for me to do that, and I wasn't sure how to how to go beyond anything more than that, other than it was time to write this down. I began to realize the path I'd taken myself had been quite devious and, and, and apparently complex and yet always leading me back to where I am, where I am now. And I didn't want other people to take 50 years that I've taken basically to do this necessarily. There are shorter ways of breathing into who you are. So it was quite cathartic for me to, to write um, part at least of my journey out and some of the experiences I never dreamt I would have obviously as a child. Um, making this fascinating tapestry, I guess, of, of a return to a return to balance and return to light. Um, that's why I wrote the book. There's a unicorn inside everybody, and if you just allow yourself to look at your own life experiences, you're going to see it. You're going to feel it. You're going to allow it to surface. Um, I remember when I was ten. It's in the book, but I remember when I was ten thinking that, knowing that I could do anything that, that Jesus had said he had done, and I don't mean that in any offensive way. I, I, I realized that Jesus was, according to what we're taught, was God made man, not God made God. 
um, therefore was behaving in a manner which was quite acceptable to, um, to all of us if we just had a grain of faith. Mm -hmm. You move mountains on a bucket full, we can do an awful lot more. Um, and it was really clear that we could do absolutely anything that, that, um, that he was doing. He was, he was showing us, or the story was showing us of what we are capable of. But that wouldn't have worked in, in my society to do that. I brought up Irish Catholic in, in Glasgow and um, just not, would not have fitted into school or to, or to my own family. It would have meant nothing but pretty troubled time I guess so even that knowing that I shoved that down inside and I, that led to a lot of heartaches over the next few years a lot of personal traumas I believe were completely because I denied who I was and I think that a lot of the realities that we create are because we are denying who we are and if we can just do that then you won't have to take the hard road back to your innocence what, what do you think is the biggest, I guess, stumbling block that 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 comes on our journey? That that when we go forward, how how do, how do we get rid of this? What what do you think is? I don't want to use a generic mankind, but our our personal stumbling blocks. What 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 keeps us from seeing that? Our belief in our non-perfection. It's very simple. We refuse to believe that we're perfect. We think everything else is perfect except us. If we look at, I uh, used the example of the Hubble telescope, which we didn't have as, as kids. And if you look at the top 10 pictures of the Hubble or whatever else they have up there right now, at least one of those pictures you're going to say the word, oh my God, it's going to just stun you. The beauty and the majesty and just the magnificence of it. And in saying, oh my God, you've recognized a higher intelligence. You can call it what you want. I don't really care what name you give it as long as you kind of get it. That there's something up there that's a little more intelligent on some level than we appear to be down here. Um, you realize at that point that it's all perfect. The universe is perfect, that it is expanding. It's beautiful. It's all happening. And it's all through love, light, or energy. Call it whatever word you want. It comes back to the same thing at the end of the day. So if it's all perfect, are we this micro dot of a microchip of a planet in it all. Are we imperfect? Are we God's mistake? Using the word God in parentheses. Of course not. We can't be. If it's all perfect, we must be too. But we've been manipulated since birth or sometimes before birth into believing that we are not perfect, that we're not um, made in God's image. And we are. And once we get that, once we recognize that we do not have a soul, we are a soul, um, and we've only rented a body for a few decades to check it out and have some fun <laughs> down here, basically. <laughs> and if we're not having fun, what are, what are we doing? Why do we have to go through all this crap stuff? Because they've taught us deliberately from birth and then through schooling and, and, and governments and religions, um, very carefully orchestrated, to prevent us from remembering what we already know, which is our perfection, because the minute we do that, it's game over for them. They don't have any more power over They us. have nothing, because we are perfect, and they have absolutely nothing. One of the things you mentioned in your book is a formula. 
and um, I believe it was uh, manifestation equals um, and I'm going to forget it right off the top of my head. Desire minus resistance. Desire minus resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit for my yeah. listeners? That's to get your brain out of the way and I got that from a lady called Elise Hope Killer. Choosing Prosperity, I think, was her website at that time. She's now moved on to much more fifth-dimensional stuff. But it caught my attention because it's our brain that gets us in the way as to, as to what we're capable of, right? So to manifest anything, it depends on how bad we want it and what our resistance is. And then we realize that we're getting exactly what we're asking for. Uh, a couple of examples. I had one patient who said to me, I'm just working on her shoulder. And she said, nothing's really happening in my life. I'm really bored. I said, well, she's trying to manifest change. I said, well, how bad do you really want things to change, Dad? She said, oh, about a six, probably, one to ten. I said, okay, good. So on that same scale, what part of you thinks probably won't be any change for a while yet? Oh, probably about a six. So (laughs) six minus six, and that is zero. Uh, My mom was very uh, staunch, brought up in in the Irish Catholic way, God love her, and she didn't believe that rich people can get into heaven. Uh, it was easier somehow getting through the Ava Needle mm-hmm. for a camel and a rich man. Now Ava Needle's a place. I didn't realize that until fairly recently. And a camel with money bags on it wouldn't make it through it, so I, I kind of get it now. <laughs> but uh, um, anyway, and she was, she's always complaining that she was, not always, but pretty well regularly complaining that she was broke. You know, wasn't enough money, but rich people can't get into heaven. So. I said, well, don't you ever pray for money? And she said, I pray for money every day, straight back at us. Yeah. I said, well, okay, so that's what she's trying to manifest. So, okay, man. On a scale of one to ten, how bad do you want the money? So I want two million pounds. I said, great, two million pounds, that's just amazing, that's wonderful. How bad do you want it? Oh, probably about a two. Okay, I didn't say anything, but you see where this is going, right? And I said, on a scale of one to ten, what do you think? It's probably not going to happen. And she said, well, probably about an eight. So let me get this right. I said, your prayer is sitting at a minus six. Okay. Wow. Uh, but she hadn't realized that, so she was getting exactly what she was asking for, just like the other, the other patient. The first time I tried this, M equals D minus R, was in Mexico. I just taught a course. I was really tired. It was summer. I was, uh, and I had a great time, but I was ready to go back. And when I read it, I thought, you know, I really want to fly back first class tomorrow to Calgary. It's two long flights, and I'm six foot three, and I'm a big guy. And I was like, that would be really nice. How bad do I want it? Ten. What's my resistance? <laughs> I don't have any resistance to that at all. And I forgot about it because I was going out that night and, and saying my goodbyes and getting packed and doing all the usual stuff. So next day, they took me to the airport, a whole bunch of them yakking away at me, standing in this massive lineup, and uh, Dr. Martina said to me, oh, one of my students is over there on the other desk, check in over here. So I did check my bags in, and uh, he gave me my tickets, and there were two first-class tickets. Um, and I suddenly remembered what I had said the night before, that, oh, that's what I wanted, but no resistance. I didn't tell the universe how to do it. I just said, here's what I want. I have absolutely no resistance to that happening. And boom, I was on two first-class seats. Uh, wow. So I thought, this works. So when I look at someone that I feel I'm not receiving... I really have to look at what is my resistance to that. Why am I resisting it? Why would I? It's like when you order a meal in a restaurant, you order it, you don't keep running to the kitchen to check if they're making it. Mm-hmm. You kind of trust that a place my order is there. 
So it's only our resistance and our belief in our imperfection that we do not deserve. Okay, to go back to the Hubble thing again, I believe that if you do something good, right, uh, through love, light, or energy, which is all there is, um, then the universe gives it back to you ten times over. So here it comes back to you, Bob, with your name on it. Bob, 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 since you're a little boy, but you've been taught you're not perfect, so if you don't deserve it, so you won't open the package. So it piles up all around us all our lives, and, and we don't, we feel we don't deserve it because we're not perfect, so we won't open it. Universe, aka God, couldn't care less whether we open it or not. It has no particular interest what we do with it. Say, well, I gave you it. Please yourself. Mm -hmm. right? So why don't you just breathe it in? It's always been given to you. You're getting exactly what you're asking for. And the minute you take one deep breath, if what I say is even remotely chance of being true, it will literally change your life because it is true. So you got to do is take a breath and accept all the gifts that are piled up around you right now in this second. Just breathe it out and let it go again. Now I know I have listeners out there that are saying it can't be that simple, but it is. It is that simple. Of course it is. Doesn't it sound simple? It, it, it does. <laughs> and, and, and and I guess the thing is, it's very hard, I think, for people to get through that. Yeah. That Now, there's got to be a lot more to it than that. It can't be Could that be their that. resistance? Yeah. How bad would they want it to be true? Ask, exactly. Tell them to ask themselves that question. Right? And if they say eight, we'll say, well, why eight? Why would you not want that to be a ten? Mm -hmm. Why would you not really want that? Well, okay, maybe I can move it up a notch. What's your resistance to about a six? Why? Why, why would why, you why, resist that potential? Why wouldn't you want that to be yeah, true? Yeah, if that is even remotely chance of being true, why would I resist? It's only my ego or my pain body, my conditioning, which would resist something of that of that magnitude. You know, I come back again to if you just had a grain of faith. Mm -hmm. um, it's been right in front of us in plain sight, always. One of the things I like to do is I, I like to work with wood, and um, I'll go out with my tools and I'll make something. And then I'll have friends and people say, oh, I could never do that. And I think, why not? You know, oh, there, there are woodworkers out there that do a lot better woodwork than I do. But you can do exactly what I do. You just have to do it. You know, and, and uh, I, I, it, it frustrates me sometimes just to hear people say, you know, I, I also do paintings and stuff. And they say, oh, that's beautiful. I could never do something like that. And and it just it, that that just irks me so much because they can, you know, uh, people can make music. You know, if you can hit keys on a keyboard, all the notes are there. Just put them in the order that sounds right to you. That's right. And it's music. Music is your song. Right. right. I agree completely. That's just a resistance. That's what they've been told. And when you say I could never do that, then so be it. You're reinforcing. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's that whole it's that whole way of thinking that um, if you think you can do something, you can. If you think you can't do something, you're right still. I get told the same thing all the time. You know, you're a healer. You're this. You're that. I'm, I'm nothing that you're not. Mm -hmm. Nothing that you're not, and more. You know, um, you just have to drop your resistance and just be who you are. Just believe in your perfection. Stop judging yourself. Where you want it to be, you're creative. We're getting exactly what we're asking for individually and collectively. I believe. So if um, 
I guess when you look around today, and, and of course, you can't turn on the news, and everything in the news is negative. Of everything. Uh, um, and I don't watch the news for that reason. Yeah. I'll read the newspaper, but I'll just look at the headlines just so I can have an idea of what's going on in the world. But I don't need to know the details. I don't need to, you know, the dirt. You know, I, I don't need to get my hands dirty in, in that. And, but you, you take a look at everything that's going on, um, the politics, the wars, and, and I think people let this get to them and it gets into their heads. And what, what is the best way, what are some techniques that you feel that people can use to, to get through this, to get through these blocks, you know, I, I it gets depressing. I think is is what I'm, I think I'm kind of trying to say. Well, it does, and that's the whole point. That's why we're doing it. Okay, to keep you in your pain body. If you look at Eckhart Tolle's work, it's a good example. Um, we pay money to go into a movie theater and watch people kill each other. What is wrong with that picture? Okay, and mm -hmm. you quit disgust us, and we go, yeah, but you paid for it. You walked in the door, you actually paid money for it. So we're creating and maintaining that vibration of fear and lack, okay? And it's being deliberately perpetrated, as we know, on many levels throughout the planet. And the best way is turn off your TV, I hate to say it, but it's just don't listen. I wouldn't even look at the headlines because they're making it up anyhow. Even the headlines mm. aren't really the truth, it's a version of the truth. Right. There are some amazing things going on in the planet that they, they don't talk about, um, like in Syria, um, I can't think of her name, I have to Google her, um, the first lady of Syria. She is way ahead of Princess Diana as far as what she's doing for the planet. And um, what she did was about five years ago, well, maybe less than that, no, yeah, less than that. Just before the so-called trouble started there right now, she contracted a guy that we have met him called Robin Cole Hamilton to come to Syria and to build five in parenthesis, museums uh, for the children of Syria, because she knows that 65% of the population are under 40. So she knows 20 years from now, these are the minds that will understand what's going on both there and in the planet. So she can get in joints out of her husband money-wise. So she's like, I want to build five museums. He's like, yeah, no problem. So, mm -hmm. so, but she built these state-of-the-art museums, which are all holographic and 3D, and they tap into any subject on the planet. You can tap into it. You can resource wow. it. And the main one just opened in Damascus, literally just before the so-called trouble kicked off there. And what she, what they found was, and she's not surprised, she's pretending to be surprised, the kids don't leave. You can't get them out. They're in there all day. And the five-year-old can be sitting looking at something and learning it. And, they're just soaking it all and in. And a 17-year-old come and sit beside them and say, what are you doing? And they sit and they look at it, and a few minutes later they're over at something else. So they're, they're teaching each other and they're soaking all the information out, but there's not a teacher in sight. So seven days a week, these places are packed with what's going to be the future population of Syria. It's what a template that is, is for the world, actually, right? So many kids we have here drop out because the system just doesn't suit them. We'll keep it in a simple version right now. It's just not created to suit them. It's, it's there to prove your imperfection and put you on the pyramid culture and yada, 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 right? It, it seems like a lot of the schools... Of course, I grew up in a public school system here in the United States, and um, I think most of what I learned, I learned outside of, of school. I learned in the library, and I learned you know, on my own. 
the school really didn't teach me they're not there to a teach lot. you how to think. They're teaching what to think, and what they're teaching isn't true. So the test answers, yeah, yeah they're, 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 you know, what what's the right answer for the test? Whether it's right or wrong, exactly. You have to put the right number down or the right letter down. You're being conditioned, right? Simple as that. So these kids have all this access. The kids have gone out on their own, or they had till this nonsense started happening. And so the kids are called green shirts. So the 12 and 13 year old kids were going into the community, giving all the seniors free computers and teaching the seniors who were shut-ins how to use a computer, how to access it, how to access the internet. So the kids were going out through the whole country doing this. And then she got them into, like this, into um, uh, communications. And she got state-of-the-art communication systems and all of these um, museums. Right now, so the kids now produce their own show every day of what's happening in the world. And she told her husband they have to do this because this is the way of the future. And he's well, okay, honey, whatever. But she knows what she's doing because the kids put it all together in the morning, and they go home in the afternoon and they watch the local TV and they'll see their stuff or CNN or whatever it is they get. I'm not picking on anything. And the kids will go, "That's not what happened. We know what happened because she's letting them access everything. Not it's not being filtered." Right, right. right. They're, they're not getting Fox Channel's no. view of things. They're not getting no. CNN's yeah. view Or the newspapers. Right. They're getting access to everything. So when they see the, the filtered version, they know that's not true. So they're hopefully growing up with a better perspective on what's going on out there and building for a better future. Now, there are so many examples of things like this going on that we don't, we don't hear about. Um, I was in Hawaii there and in one of the towns there in Big Island. They just got rid of KFC. Um, Kentucky Fried Chicken is gone, and it's an organic food restaurant. And it's quite a deprived area, but all the food is grown within a 20-mile radius. Wow. Most of it, most of it is picked that day. Meals you're getting, and to see it used to be a KFC, and it's now this. And the kids that are in trouble in the area, they're bringing them in and teaching them uh, onto these farms how to grow it, how to connect with the land again, how to reconnect with their culture. Um, and it's just people helping people. So I, I see these things every day. I don't see these in the newspaper. I don't see these programs, which would motivate and, and really satisfy us. But they're out there. So people have to realize, just breathe into that. that there's a lot of wonderful things happening. And you just have to do your own journey inside and pretty well ignore most of what you think you see going on because it, it is an illusion. And it is meant to keep you away from who you are. That's the design. No, I, th I think you're right. I do. Um, so wh where do you see this this big ball we live on? What what do you see happening over the next, oh, I don't know, five years? What well, I'm hoping I'm being a fifth dimension within five years. I'm hoping that <laughs> I'm not hoping, okay? I'm really trusting, right, that. The third dimension will still be here, but we won't be kind of playing in it anymore, right? Mm -hmm. We'll have to have an on-earth perspective, right? Hopefully. Um, no, not even hopefully. I, I know it's close now. I do. Uh, it's just getting yourself. But by freeing the unicorn, so to speak, you are setting your energetic up for the vibration, which is it's here. I mean, it's, it's happening now. So you need to clear out that 3D nonsense, which you're getting in the newspapers and in the television and the so-called lacks and wars. And horrible things that are going on mm -hmm. as we ignore those and tune into just being love and increasing our own personal vibration and knowing that there are literally millions now doing it globally they're not going to tell you that I meet them wherever I go I meet them by the hundreds in every country that I go to now so I know that 
There's such a huge movement for love going on on the planet right now. And it is winning. It is winning. I, I do feel, you know, and I know most of my listeners feel the same way, that, that something's happening. It's coming to a head. Something is going to give. And um, I, I, I do think that, uh, uh, and again, it's, it's, it's like you're saying, you know, I hope, but I kind of believe that we're going to smarten up as, as beings and realize that all of the politics and all of the, all of the junk that we just fill our lives with, all of the drama, that it's nothing. They filled our lives with. Yeah. We did. We've been conditioned to fill our lives with. Instead of we blame ourselves that we fill our lives with, that we are not good enough, right? That we, right. Have, we are failing. We have been conditioned to behave and receive in this manner. We've got to stop blaming ourselves, okay? Get away from that. Look at your pain body from the outside. Look at it as the third dimension, right? It's been put there by society on purpose so you believe in your imperfection. And as you look at that, you start to observe it, you start to sense something bigger about yourself. And the pain body as such, and I'm not even sure I like that word, but that or third dimension or belief in our imperfection, whatever way you want to put it, it has less and less hold on us. Every time we can simply breathe into, it's an illusion. It's not happening, right? It's mm. only my belief that's saying it's happening. I believe the third dimension will still be here, just we won't. Okay, it's not going to be that way. I've already seen examples. I've seen, I was in an earthquake in, in Argentina. Two examples, but one was that one. It was a 6.9. It was the one that went off in Chile, and that was like a mm -hmm. 9 or something like that. And we were there in Bariloche, and we got a 6.9. And that's a big shaker. I don't yeah. know because I was in it, and it lasted three and a half minutes. It's a long time uh, to go through that. Wow. And, and we went through a lot <clears throat> in that three and a half minutes, but it was still surreal because the next morning, that was 3.30, at 8.30, I was running a class. And hmm. it was as though nothing had happened. We started talking to each other, and we talked, and it was... And things had fallen off shelves and stuff. And there wasn't a window broken, and it doesn't make sense. And there was no loss of life, and it doesn't make sense. It could not have... The, the building we were in was rocking. And I don't mean just gently swaying. I mean, it was rocking. The pictures were thudding off the walls. The stairs were moving back and forward and sideways at the same time. And yet, there was nothing. So I tend to believe in the other reality. There may have been lots of, lots of damage. Um, it's the only explanation I have because it doesn't make sense any other way. The earthquake in Hawaii a few years back was a 5.7. It was in Kona, and there was damage, structural bridges down, and the, the, the palace is cracked right through and been repaired now, and all kinds of stuff happening. And we had friends. Uh, won't mention him by name, and, and he is. Uh, He's out on his boat, right? And he's, a, he's a great guy, a very spiritual guy. And if you're not Pono, if you're not a good guy or person, his boat's not going out that day. He just tells you my boat's not going out today. What he's saying <laughs> is you're not getting on my boat today. So uh, my boat's just staying home. <clears throat> I'm not taking you to meet the dolphins, basically. Uh, and he doesn't. And it doesn't in a, a nice way where you don't get the, what he's saying to you. So he was with his boat, and his wife was in the house. And they're both highly intelligent people. And... Uh, his wife was said, when the earthquake hit, she realized it was an earthquake, and for some reason she ran and stood under a doorway. No idea why she did that, right? She did. And suddenly she felt she was falling, and she felt the whole house was falling. She said she seemed to be falling forever, and she remembers being so 
angry, raging at her husband. He wasn't with her. He was down at his boat at the harbor at that particular time. She remembers being so angry that he wasn't there. She just kept dropping, and then it was still, and she opened her eyes, and she hadn't moved at all, and there was not a thing broken in the house. Hmm. makes no sense whatsoever, okay, unless you believe that dimensions are starting to overlap right now, and on one level there are lots of damage, mm-hmm. casualties, and on the level, none. So there's two pretty big things that just don't make sense, okay? Um, the only thing stopping you from believing it is you weren't there, right? Mm-hmm. And what's your resistance to that? I've seen the tsunami come down the west coast of Big Island, and take out hotels and not touch the hails. And the hails only sit four feet off the water, so the tsunami had to do a right turn and swing into the bay in Kona to take out the King Kamehameha Hotel in there. So how did it miss these so-called sacred sites? It had to actually change direction. All the way down the coast of the island, you'll see it. And unless you stand and look at it, you go, well, that doesn't make any sense because it took out the hotel, but yet this thing's only three feet above the water and it's only huts, basically, sacred sites. I mean, structurally, it's only and it didn't touch it. So there's so many good things happening and Hawaiians say, yeah, well, those are supposed to leave or leaving as though it's just, yeah, it's time now. It's just it's happening, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I get all of these examples which reinforce to me that the dimensions are real. In my father's house, there are many mansions. I get it. I think I get it. And they are crossing right now, and there's a real window of, well, maybe it's more an opportunity, maybe it's just going to happen anyhow, but but it's here, regardless. So all we have to do is remember, remember who we are, so we fit that vibration, which will not sustain the vibration of fear. It just won't fit. It's not going to be allowed. It just, it's like tuning your radio into a certain wave frequency, mm-hmm. um, this third dimension that you're seeing all the time being pumped at us. Is simply not going to be on the, we're not going to be able to tune into it. It won't be there. So. And I see it all around me, so I'm quite happy with that. Wonderful. Um, so, in, in, in a couple of sentences then, what, what would you like people to get from your book? To remember that they are perfect and to stop judging themselves and to stop judging others. See the light in other people that they can't see in themselves because it's there. It's in everybody. That's Victor Frankl's work uh, that said that. If they could see the light that I and them that I could see, they would not behave as they do. And it's as simple as that, right? If you can see that and connect to, to that in anybody and everybody, you'll be amazed at how quickly things start to turn around. Whatever it is that's blocking you, it's only resistance, whether it's health, whether it's so-called financial, whether it's lack, whatever it is, emotional, whatever's going on, it's only your resistance to deserving something better that is blocking, no matter how real it seems, it is an illusion. Breathe into the truth of who you are. Remember who you are. And from that second on, all things are possible. Remember, remember the old ways. I think you go back to what they don't want us to remember, and that would be like visions of the past will be memories of the future. As we remember who we are again, we will get back to the way it once was. Wonderful. And um, to find your book and to find out more information about uh, what you do and everything, uh, what are your websites that oh, okay. you can check out? Uh, if you go on to uh, hughgilbertauthor.com, 
uh, you'll, you'll get about the unicorn. There's a couple of chapters in there, a couple of samples anyway to see if you want it. And it's available on Amazon. And the other one is kineticchainrelease.com. It's where I have a protocol, physical protocol going, which will uh, correct most anomalies in, in the human body. We, we now have thousands of testimonials to this. And the beauty of it is anybody can do it on anybody. It doesn't have to be so-called professionals on professionals. But if you think it can help you, think again. Just check out the website and, and see what you think. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you for coming in today, and uh, um, thank you for being on the program. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Bob. Namaste. Namaste. Long gone, with brooding heart and mind, old man's 
And that was Spiral Dance with Spiral Horn and Sanctuary. Now all the music here on A Pagan Heart is used with permission of the artists. And if you like what you hear, please visit them and let them know. You can find the artists' websites on my website at www.paganheartinmaine.com under the Musical Artist link. I want to say thank you again to Hugh Gilbert for coming on the show today. And you can find a permanent link to his website on my site as well. He'll be back in Southern Maine in April 2014 to teach KCR Protocol Level 1 and 2. And you can find out more information about his workshops at kineticchainrelease.com. And I'm going to call this episode 45. And to close out the show, this is Elaine Silver with I Can See Perfection. So until next time, brightest blessings. Perfect.